You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner to English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 121 by Rudolf Steiner, entitled The Mission of Folk Souls, 11 Lectures, translated by Johanna Collis. And this is Lecture 2, given in Christiania, Oslo, June 8, 1910. Yesterday I explained that the beings we regard as folk spirits are presently at the stage of development in which they are working out of their I, capital, on their etheric or life body. They are working on their etheric or life body from out of the inmost depths of their soul. Of course, you will all agree that this work on the etheric or life body cannot be directly perceived by our sense organs, by our physical eyes, but that this is a matter of clairvoyant consciousness. But when the work of these beings, these folk spirits, extends into the life of human beings, there must surely be some visible indication, some tangible evidence, some kind of impression or reflection of this work of the folk spirits or archangels. Furthermore, these beings must, in a certain sense, also possess a physical body. Their corporeality must come to expression in some form or other and this physical form in which they express themselves, their work and their activity, must surely also result in some sort of expression in the world in which human beings live, for ultimately the physical human body must also in some way be connected with the work of these spiritual beings. Let us begin with the etheric or life body of these beings and with the work they are carrying out in it. To do this, we will have to look at investigations conducted by a clairvoyant consciousness. Where does clairvoyant research find evidence for the existence of the etheric body of these archangelic beings? And how are we to understand their work? You all know that the surface of our earth varies from place to place and that the different regions provide widely differing conditions for the development of the distinct attributes of various peoples. External, materialistic consciousness will tell you that climate, vegetation, or perhaps the water quality or other factors of a country or region determine the distinctive features or characteristics of a particular people. That materialists have this outlook is not surprising, for they are only aware of the physical world they can see with their own eyes. Clairvoyant consciousness, however, presents a different picture. When someone possessing clairvoyant consciousness visits the various regions of our earth, he knows that the particular vegetation, the characteristic configuration of the rocks, etc., does not exhaust what he knows about the land, about the picture of a specific region. It is understandable, however, that for the materialistic consciousness, It seems abstract to speak of a particular aroma or even of an aura associated with a certain region of our earth. But for clairvoyant consciousness, 
there extends over every region of the earth a peculiar spiritual cloud formation that we call the etheric aura of that particular region. This etheric aura varies according to the landscape. In Switzerland it is different than in Italy and again different in Norway, Denmark or Germany. Just as every human being has his own etheric body, so does a kind of etheric aura loom above each region of the earth's surface. Such etheric auras differ greatly from other etheric auras, for example those of human beings. The etheric aura of a human being is part of him as long as he lives from birth to death. It is united with his physical body and only changes in so far as the individual progresses during his lifetime, rising to a higher level morally, intellectually, and so on. When this happens, we always see that the etheric aura of the individual begins to be transformed from the inside, acquiring inner differentiations that shine out from within. This is different from what can be seen in the case of the regional etheric auras. These retain their fundamental tone or quality over long periods of time but they can also change rapidly, and it is in this way that they differ from human etheric auras, which only change slowly and gradually from within. The auras, extending over the various countries, change in the course of human evolution when a people migrates and takes up residence in a new territory. This is the peculiar feature of these etheric auras, that they depend not only on what emanates, so to speak, from the land, but also on the people that most recently inhabited the region. Those who wish to observe how the destinies of our human race are shaped on the earth therefore focus their endeavors on observing how these parts of the etheric auras in the different regions of our earth interact. In Europe, the various etheric auras underwent enormous changes during the great migrations of late antiquity. The etheric aura of a particular region, we find, is subject to change, to sudden transformations that may even have their source in external factors to some extent. So every one of these etheric auras is, in a certain respect, a fusion of the emanations from the land with whatever migrating peoples bring to it. In connection with this aura, we must be clear that the statement so freely quoted in theosophy and yet seldom grasped in its fullest implications, the statement, namely, that everything which our physical consciousness sees in the outer world is only maya or illusion, has the most far-reaching validity. The statement is freely quoted by adherents of the theosophical worldview, but it is rarely observed in detail and rarely brought to bear on life. People speak of it in an abstract way, and then when it is a matter of considering the concrete connections, they forget about it and cling to their old materialistic outlook. The truth is that what mysteriously comes to meet us in a region inhabited by a particular people is its etheric aura. The green vegetation, the specific configuration of the soil, and so on, all that we see with our physical eyes 
is basically only maya or external illusion, a kind of condensation of what is at work in the etheric aura. But the only visible part that depends on the etheric aura is the part that is capable of being influenced, in the first place, by this etheric aura or living organizing principle. The archangels, who have within them spiritual laws, cannot exercise any influence on physical laws. Where physical laws alone are at work, as in the forms of mountains and the curves of the hills that bring about changes in the people, these are beyond the reach of the archangels. The archangels have not yet progressed far enough in their development to be able to intervene in the physical conditions. And because they are unable to do this, they must at certain times travel across the face of the earth and incarnate in the configuration of the soil as in a physical body. In other words, in something that is ruled over by physical laws. The etheric body of a people cannot as yet enter into this. It cannot yet exert influence on how it is organized. So, a region is selected, if it proves suitable, and from this marriage between the etheric body, now worked through by spiritual and soul forces, and the physical territory, there arises what appears to us as the magic atmosphere in the external aspect of a particular people. This can only be sensed by someone who is not clairvoyant, but someone who is clairvoyant can actually see it in the land and the people living there. How then does the activity of the archangel, the folk spirit, work in the etheric body that rises above the land? What is the function of the archangel? And how does he work into the people who inhabit this land and who live within the aura of the folk spirit? This influence expresses itself in three ways. The etheric aura of a people permeates and weaves in the human being in three ways. It affects three aspects of his being. And the interplay of these three aspects creates the specific characteristics of the person who lives in this etheric aura. What is it in the human being that is affected by the etheric aura? The etheric aura acts upon three of the temperaments, the choleric, the phlegmatic, and the sanguine temperament, which are themselves rooted in the human being's emotional life, but not upon the melancholic temperament. In general, the potent influence of the etheric aura of a people streams into these three temperaments. In a single individual, these three temperaments may be variously mingled and interact in a wide variety of ways. There are infinite possibilities of interaction when these three work together, for example, when one influences another or dominates it, and so on. Here lies the source of the multiplicity of types we meet in Russia, Norway, or Germany, for example. The native characteristics of an individual are determined by what works into the temperaments. The difference between the separate individuals depends entirely upon the extent to which the three temperaments are commingled. Native temperaments, therefore, vary in accordance with how the folk aura works into a people. Thus, 
we find the folk spirits active over the whole earth, but they have their own path. Working into the temperaments is not the main thing as far as their own development is concerned. They only do so because they are involved in the interplay of forces in the earth, and so initially it is their will to do it as a part of their mission. But at the same time we must address the concerns of their I, capital. These involve making progress in their own development, for which purpose they move across the face of the earth, incarnating in one region or another. This is what chiefly concerns them, whereas what they do in the human temperaments is something they work on additionally as a mission. Of course, human beings themselves benefit from their work because it works back upon them. And equally, the activity of human beings works back upon the folk spirit. We will discuss later the significance of individual human beings for the folk spirit, for this is important. But it is essential that we should be able to follow the progress of one of these folk spirits and see how he incarnates on the earth, lives again for a time in the spiritual world, and then incarnates once more elsewhere, and so on. When we observe these processes, we are concerned only with matters of their I, capital. Picture to yourselves quite realistically the etheric body of the human being embedded in the etheric body of a people. Then picture the interaction of the human etheric body with the etheric body of that people and think further of how the etheric body of that people is reflected in that people's temperaments, in the mingling of the temperaments in individuals. Therein lies the secret of how the folk spirit reveals his character within a particular people. With these words we have in fact described the full scope of the most important work of the true archangels or folk spirits. If we were to consider only the character of an individual member of a people, we would by no means have exhausted that people's characteristics. The archangelic beings, the true folk spirits, have this task. As you can readily imagine, however, this does not complete the picture of a people, for if the archangel, the guiding folk spirit, were not to contact other beings in the same region and work together with them in the etheric body of human beings, then many of the characteristics of a people would not be able to arise in the first place. Human beings are the stage upon which the archangels meet yet other beings who work and collaborate with them. And from this cooperative endeavor, something quite different emerges. When we study the different peoples with clairvoyant consciousness, we find, strangely enough, other mysterious beings besides the archangelic beings already described. Beings who are related to the archangels in certain respects, but who are otherwise totally different from them, in that they are capable of wielding far greater powers than the folk spirits. In the way he weaves into the temperaments, the folk spirit works in an extremely subtle and intimate way upon the individual human soul. But there are other beings who exercise a far stronger and more powerful influence. From our general knowledge of the hierarchies, we must be quite clear about these beings. 
Then we will be able to name these other beings who can be observed by clairvoyant consciousness. Think of the sequence of hierarchies. Number one, human beings. Number two, angels. Number three, archangels. Number four, primal beginnings, archai, or spirits of personality. Number five, powers, exousiae, or spirits of form. There are others, too, with whom we are not concerned today. If you recall what we spoke about yesterday, and you will find a detailed description in my writings on the Akashic Chronicle and also in Title and Outline of Esoteric Science, you will know that it was the archangels who underwent their human stage during Old Sun. At that time, the beings whom we call spirits of form or powers, who are now two stages higher than the archangels, were at the archangel stage. They were archangels like the folk spirits we have just described. That was then their normal stage of evolution. But you see, there is a remarkable mystery connected with evolution, namely the law of delayed development. In accordance with this law, certain beings remain behind at each stage of evolution, so that in the succeeding stage they have not reached their normal rank. They retain the characteristics that belong to earlier stages. Throughout the evolution of humanity, beings have always existed who remain behind, and among them are also certain spirits of form or powers. Their delayed development took a very singular form. While they are spirits of form or powers in terms of certain attributes, and while by virtue of those attributes they are able to exercise the powers that belong at the present time solely to the spirits of form who bestowed the I capital upon the human being during the earth condition, they cannot yet fully exercise these powers because they do not possess all the necessary attributes. They have remained behind, with the result that they did not undergo their archangel stage during Old Sun, but are now experiencing it in the earth condition. Thus they are beings who are now at the stage of the folk spirits, but are endowed with quite different attributes. While the folk spirits work in a subtle way, into the life of human beings, because they are two stages above them and are consequently still related to them, these spirits of form are four stages above the human stage. They possess, therefore, a vast array of forces that would not be suitable for working so intimately into human beings. Their effect would be more vigorous, and yet they have no other field in which they can work except that of the normal folk spirits, the archangels. The difficulty is that one must first learn discernment when it comes to the spiritual world. Those who imagine that a few concepts will suffice for understanding the higher worlds are very much mistaken. With a few superficial concepts, they would certainly find archangels there, but one must distinguish between the archangels who have reached the archangel stage in the normal way and those who ought to have reached it during the old sun condition of the earth. Thus other beings are now at work in the same domain 
as the folk spirits or archangels, beings who stand at the same level as the archangels but are endowed with very different, far more powerful attributes, such as are possessed by the other spirits of form, and who are, therefore, able to penetrate deeply into human nature. In what respects have human beings been influenced by the spirits of form during earth existence? Human beings would not have developed a consciousness of their I if the spirits of form had not given the brain its present configuration. Such beings are able to work into the physical human form, even though they are only at the stage of archangels. They have entered into a kind of competition with the folk spirits in the domain where the folk spirits are active. The first major effect brought about by the clash of these spirits coming from opposite directions is language, which could not arise at all were it not for the whole structure and form of the human body. In the structure of the human being, we have the activity of those other folk spirits that come to be linked with nature forces and with the human being. Thus, we must not ascribe the birth of language to the beings who work intimately into the folk temperament and in their capacity as beings who are two stages above the human stage also imprint their configuration upon a people. The beings who give us language have great strength. Indeed, they are powers. They influence the earth because they have remained upon it, whereas their other companions work in the eye from out of the sun into cosmic space. Before the advent of Christ Jesus, human beings worshipped Yahweh or Jehovah, and subsequently they then worshipped the Christ being who worked into the world from out of cosmic space. As to the spirits of language, we have to say that human beings cherish particularly the aspect of language that has remained with the earth. But we must learn to accustom ourselves to new points of view. People are in the habit of projecting their own ideas onto the universe as a whole. But they are quite wrong to think that these exalted beings remaining behind in their development is comparable to a schoolgirl failing to move up to the next class. They do not remain behind because they have failed to learn their lesson, but because of the great wisdom that is present everywhere in the world. If certain beings had not renounced their normal development in order to remain on the earth instead of moving on with the sun, then what we know as language would not have been able to come into being on the earth. In a certain respect, human beings should inwardly love their language because it was from motives of love that higher beings remained behind with them and renounced certain attributes in order that humanity should be able to evolve in accordance with higher wisdom. Just as we must regard, quote, hurrying forward, close quote, as a kind of sacrifice, so must we also look upon, quote, remaining behind, close quote, at earlier stages of evolution, as a kind of sacrifice. And we must clearly realize that human beings could not have acquired certain attributes if such sacrifices had not been made. Thus we see how two kinds of beings share their tasks 
in the etheric body of the human being and in the etheric body of the folk spirit in question. On the one hand, the archangels who have followed a normal development, and on the other, those spirits of form who have remained behind at the archangel stage and have sacrificed their own evolution in order to implant native languages in human beings during their evolution on the earth. They had to have the power to transform the larynx and all the organs needed for speech and language in such a way that they could bring forth language as a physical manifestation. Thus the collaboration that took place has resulted in what we may call the folk sentiment, the folk temperament, in combination with language. The way individuals speak, how they manifest as members of their people, the sounds of language that resonate from them in the air, these are what the spirits of form have succeeded in bringing about in collaboration with the folk spirits, solely because they have remained with their great powers at the stage of the folk spirits. This collaboration took place in the domain where the folk spirits are active, and a similar collaboration is also to be observed in another domain. I mentioned yesterday that other forces are also active, the primal beginnings, the archai, or spirits of personality, who act as time spirits during our earth existence. They work from their own eye, from their own soul organization, into the physical body to activate its forces. We must assume, therefore, that if at a certain moment something arises as a result of the activity of the time spirit, if something manifests within the spirit of the age that enables humanity to make progress, then this has to do with the application of physical forces in our earth life. It is easy to see, if you reflect for a moment, how actual physical prerequisites are necessary for certain things to come about in the realm of the time spirit. Or can you imagine Kepler, Copernicus or Pericles living in any other age or under different circumstances? Individuals are the product of the specific conditions of their time, conditions that at a definite moment in time are created and determined by the higher beings working on the physical plane. These physical conditions are not just lumps of matter. They are specific configurations in the physical makeup of our earth. Sometimes they stand out in bold relief. Sometimes, when the time spirit exerts his influence in some way, certain quite specific physical constellations have to come about. You will recall the events leading to the invention of the telescope, namely how glass lenses had been polished in a certain way, and how a pair of children playing in the glass polisher's workshop happened to assemble them in such a way that they created the optical effect of a telescope, and thus the inventor of the telescope merely had to observe the telescopic effect in order to arrive at his invention. This is a historical fact. But imagine what physical processes were needed for this to come about. First of all, the lenses had to be invented, polished, and assembled in the appropriate manner. Chance would account for this, you might say. 
but only on condition that you refuse to acknowledge the law that operates in such circumstances. This concatenation of outward circumstances is the work of the archai, the primal beginnings. Their work is the consequence of focusing their activity in a particular place, an activity that in the time spirit is spread out in a variety of ways. Think how many physical things would never have come into being in recent times if this work of the archai had not taken place in your physical bodies. Thus it is indeed the work of the archai that acts in this way and is directed to this end. If then the archai work in this way and direct the time spirit, the question arises, how do these time spirits intuitively sense the progress of humanity? They sense it intuitively in that a person is motivated, as though by chance, by something happening in the physical sphere. These are not merely legends, although some stories may be. Remember the swinging lamp in the cathedral at Pisa, where Galileo discovered the principle of the pendulum by observing its regular oscillations? And how Kepler and Newton were later motivated to make their discoveries. We could point to hundreds and thousands of cases in which external events and human thought have coincided and which demonstrate how the archai or primal beginnings intuitively sense the prevailing ideas of an age, ideas that influence human development, that guide and order human progress. In this domain, too, beings who have become spirits of personality in the normal way during our earth existence work together with beings who, having remained behind in the condition of old moon, are now not spirits of form or powers, as they should be on the earth, but are only now working as spirits of personality. Thus, those beings who remain behind in their evolution not in the old sun condition, but only in the old moon condition, are now spirits of personality. They do not possess the attributes that they would normally have. That is, they do not, in quotes, intuit in the manner of the normal spirits of personality, but as held back spirits of form. They do not motivate human beings from without, while leaving the inner motivation for observing the physical world to people themselves. Instead, they work from within, giving motivation and configuration within the brain and encouraging thinking to go in a certain direction. Thus, the way human beings think has been motivated from within during the different ages so that each age has its own definite mode of thought. This depends on the delicate configurations and the inner patterns of the life of thought. It is where the held-back spirits of form are at work, those who have the character of spirits of personality. They work within the human being, creating a certain way of thinking and a quite specific form of concepts. Thus, from age to age, Human beings are not only guided according to the will of the intuiting spirits of personality, by being encouraged of themselves to do one thing or another, they are also impelled, as though by inner forces, so that thinking starts from within 
and manifests externally in a physical form, just as language gives expression to what the held-back spirits of form are. Thus the way of thinking expresses itself as a manifestation of the spirits of form who in our time appear as spirits of personality. These are not, therefore, spirits of personality who work in a subtle and intimate way, leaving human beings to their own devices. Instead, they take possession of them and drive them irresistibly on. You can always find these two types among individuals who are motivated by the time spirit. Those motivated by the true time spirits who are at the normal stage of their development can be recognized as true representatives of their age. We can look upon them as individuals who are destined to appear. We feel certain that they could not have acted in any other way. But there are also other individuals in whom those spirits of personality are at work who are actually spirits of form. These are the spirits whom we call the thought spirits, who during the old moon condition advanced to their present rank. The human being is the stage upon which the activities of these beings are coordinated. This is demonstrated by the mutual interaction between language and thought, the reciprocal relationship not only between spirits at the same stage of development, but also between the normal archangels who determine folk sentiment and temperament, and those just described. That is, not only between the spirits of form, who are at the archangel stage, but also between those spirits of personality, who in reality are held back spirits of form. Both kinds of beings appear in the nature and makeup of the human being. It is extremely interesting to study this relationship when looking at the different peoples with spiritual knowledge and insight. There, you can see how the normal folk spirits work and take their direction from the time spirits, but also how these folk spirits collaborate inwardly in the human being with the language spirits and the thought spirits who take effect in human beings' thoughts. In the inner human being, There are not only normal and abnormal archangels, but also the archangels in contrast to the abnormal spirits of personality, who inwardly regulate the work of thinking in a particular age. I have already mentioned that I proposed to touch upon conditions that you must accept with your spiritual understanding, and that must be clothed in ordinary language, because no language has yet been invented that would make all this clear and credible. I am therefore obliged to use a terminology that is somewhat figurative. Nonetheless, my description of the situation accords with an important fact in the evolution of humanity. It is then most interesting and instructive to follow the evolution of humanity in recent times and to discover that a mutual agreement was once arrived at between one of the guiding folk spirits, who is a normal archangel, and an abnormal spirit of personality, who works within the human being as a spirit of thought forces. The far-reaching consequence of this agreement is reflected in a particular period in history. 
to make this agreement fully effective. A harmonious relationship was established with the corresponding abnormal archangel, who was the guiding spirit of language at the time. Thus there was a moment in the evolution of humanity when the normal and abnormal archangels worked together, and when, furthermore, the mode of thinking brought about from within by an abnormal spirit of personality was also introduced. The agreement between these three parties is reflected in a particular people, namely the ancient Indians, who inaugurated post-Atlantean times with the first post-Atlantean epoch. It was during that Indian culture that the constellation arose in which those three beings were able to work in the greatest harmony. Everything that came about as a result of this is what we might call the historical role of the Indian people. The prolonged effects of what was decided in that agreement could still be felt in later times, about which historical records exist. That is the reason why the old sacred language of India exercised such a powerful influence and had such telling effects upon culture, both then and in subsequent ages. This power was the work of the abnormal archangels who were active in language. The power of the Sanskrit language rests upon the agreement I have just described. This also accounts for the unique Indian philosophy, which as though working outward from within the human being, remains unsurpassed by any other people. It explains the inner homogeneity of thinking that is characteristic of Indian culture. In all other regions, different conditions prevailed. The picture I have just presented refers only to the Indian culture of that age. Hence it is so infinitely fascinating to follow up those trains of thought which assume their characteristic pattern because they have resulted not from the predominance of the normal archangel over the abnormal archangel, but from the harmonious interaction of those beings. For every thought was absorbed by the temperament of the people and elaborated with loving care at the time when the Indian people represented the first flowering of the post-Atlantean culture and the language preserved its powerful influence because the conflict that would have arisen anywhere else did not arise in this case due to the collaboration between the normal and abnormal archangels. The language that thus arose, the spontaneous outflow of a pure, uncorrupted temperament, is itself the product of that temperament. This is the secret of the people, whose culture reigned in the first post-Atlantean epoch. This is what we must bear in mind in connection with all the other peoples as well. In all of them there is a unique collaboration between these three forces, the normal folk spirit or archangel, the abnormal archangel, and what works in the abnormal time spirit, who is not active as a time spirit, but is working from within the human being. And finally, to these is added what the true time spirit has inwardly bestowed on a people. A real understanding of a people demands that we listen attentively to these forces within it, gauging the role of each factor in the makeup of a people. 
These days it is difficult for those who take no account of the spiritual forces at work in human evolution to define what exactly is meant by the word people or folk. If you look it up in books on the subject, you will find the strangest assortment of definitions. The authors cannot help giving different interpretations because one will respond more to what stems from the normal archangels, another to what stems from the abnormal archangels, and a third to what emanates from the different individuals belonging to a people. Each one has a different response that will modify his definition. What we have learned through spiritual science is that these definitions are not necessarily erroneous, but they are always steeped in maya, illusion. A writer's statements will betray whether he is concerned only with maya while leaving out of account the variety of forces that are at work. The concepts arrived at through spiritual science will lead to entirely different conclusions about a people. For instance, if one compares the Swiss people who live in a single country yet speak three languages with others who are monolingual. Later we will discuss why it is that in some peoples the spirit of personality is the more active agent in that their mode of life is determined by the collaboration of the several personalities. Peoples whose life is largely determined by an abnormal spirit of personality are also to be found on the earth. These spirits of personality are not concerned with working toward further development. A study of the character of the North American people will show you a people that has come to be governed by this principle. In fact, you will see that we cannot understand world history insofar as it is the history of peoples without first paying attention to normal and abnormal archangels as well as normal and abnormal spirits of personality in their mutual ranking and collaboration, while at the same time following up the succession of peoples throughout the course of world history. The end of Lecture 2